0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is James. I'm on staff here at the church if I don't know you and Uh, I hang out with a lot of kids, um, and I want to start this way by acknowledging one of the children in our church family. I think she's listening online, but Wilhelmina uh, Lasevich has sent me a video, and if you remember this challenge, it's been almost a year, I think, but I challenged our kids, could they memorize all the books of the Bible in order? And she has done it. And so let's give it up to Wilhelmina. And coming to you, Wilhelmina, is a gift card of a pizza or chick-fil-A chicken nug. so you choose and let me know. But every time a child sends me one of these videos, my faith is inspired of seeing kids grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is, um, and just that desire to know more of him. So I appreciate that. Thank you families for uh, working on that. But as we transition to our time together as the preaching of the word, uh, we all know, right? Thursday we celebrate. Thanksgiving. It's coming. And I, uh, on the outset, I deeply appreciate that we live in a culture that values this gratitude of thanksgiving or gratefulness, that we value that enough that we, we stop the busyness of our days, and we pause, and we give thanks. Amen? Amen? And as followers of Jesus, we 100% should be people who often, not just on a single 24-hour time period, but we should often give thanks to who God is. So therefore, today and then also next week, as Houston is here, we're going to look at this biblical theme of thanksgiving from Scripture. And just to preview, I don't know if you find this interesting, but I I guess I do, but to preview what's coming down our preaching calendar, we're going to do some sermons on thankfulness and then we're going to, as we come into December, we're going to do a series uh, on Advent, um, four week series on that as we prepare our hearts and minds for Christmas. And then in 2022, buckle up because we are going to resume our more typical expositional preaching in a brand new book. All right, and I'll give you a clue. This week, it's in the Old Testament. All right, maybe next week, Houston will build on that idea. You can nudge him. And if you don't know how many books there are in the Old Testament, ask a child because they could tell you. But today, the theme of Thanksgiving, and I think on on the actual day of Thanksgiving, it's it's kind of hard actually to maybe tell who's. Thankful, and maybe who's not thankful, right? Because we're all we're all sitting around our dining room tables. It's all filled with the people that we love. We're we're sharing this wonderful feast together, and we're just like abounding in our thankfulness to one another, right? We we, we scroll through our social media and, and post after post is just laced with these warm and and Fuzzy, heartfelt words of gratitude and thanksgiving. And we see all these pictures, right? Of just fully displaying our families are just perfect and so thankful. It can be kind of confusing of who's actually thankful. But but all that happens on Thanksgiving, right? On Thursday. I love this. Then the clock strikes midnight. And then it's Black Friday. And this is what we become. Right here. This is what we become. On Thursday, we're thankful for everything we have. But on Friday, evidently, we're liars. Because we actually don't have quite enough stuff. I love this cultural moment that we have. Well, this morning, I want to align our hearts um, from God's word. And what it means as followers of Jesus to truly be thankful. So this is kind of part one. Next week, Houston's gonna hit us even harder in part two. So while our culture in in some way depicts thankfulness as a standalone holiday, as a literal 24-hour period of time, the Bible, as we understand scripture, really depicts Thanksgiving as this ongoing expression of a heart of thankfulness. And that is to say that a life of thankfulness is the way of life for all who follow Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes this in Thessalonians. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. And catch this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? Well, here you go. Part of the will of God for you is to live a life of thankfulness. In fact, I think a strong indicator one's not a Christian is actually a life that's lived, uh, that's marked with with ingratitude. Because scripture, Paul makes plain that an unthankful life is a life that's being lived outside of the will of God. So while thanksgiving, this theme of thankfulness, might seem kind of fluffy and light and feel good, it's actually quite significant for us who follow Jesus, for a life of thankfulness is the way of life for all who follow Jesus. And if you're not there yet, you can turn with me to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. And as you turn there, or if you're already there, you can notice that it's actually entitled A Psalm for Giving Thanks. Booyah! <laughs> it's a good start. So as we anchor ourselves in this psalm, I want to ask two questions this morning. Two questions. One, why should I be thankful? Why should I be thankful? And secondly, how do I demonstrate my thankfulness? So why should I be thankful, and how do I demonstrate my thankfulness? Let's again turn to the Lord in prayer, because it's only through God the Holy Spirit that he will illuminate this to our hearts. So let's turn to him in trust and dependence in this moment. Jesus, we come to you again knowing that we need you to unlock our hearts to your word, and your word to our hearts. Lord, we ask for more of you in these moments to hear you clearly, that we might leave this mere facility more in the image of you, Jesus. It's your name we pray, amen. Well, Ruby read this short psalm already, Psalm 100, but I want to read it again in its entirety. Uh, is As the case in many psalms in, in poetry, often the main idea or the main ideas are, are repeated. Oftentimes there's repetition in, this, in the psalms, and that's the case here in our psalm. So I want to read it again, and I want you to, as I read it, see if you can pick up on the repetitious ideas of the psalmist here. So Psalm 100, For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. I know it might be tough to to notice it on paper, but on the screen here, I tried to to write this out for us. If there is a repetition, as we look at verses 1 and 2, if you go to the next screen, we'll, we'll see that there's this invitation from the psalmist to come into thanksgiving. In verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, we see that there's a foundational basis or an idea of why it is that we are invited to Thanksgiving. And then in verse 4, he repeats this invitation back to Thanksgiving. And then again, we see in verse 5, it's another repeated foundational idea as to why we are thankful. And so we see there's two threads to this psalm there's an invitation to Thanksgiving, and there's a foundation. To our Thanksgiving, and knowing this, we're actually going to start in verses three and five because that's the foundation that's going to help us answer our first question of why I should be thankful. We want to look at the foundation. Why should I be thankful? And you can notice here as we begin in, in verse three, what is that first verb or first uh, word in verse three? It's a verb, right? No, or or to know. It's a verb. Meaning the foundation to our thankfulness is, is rooted in, in knowledge, that we have to know something, that our, our thankfulness it's not rooted, say, in like our emotion or our circumstance, but it's actually rooted in knowledge. Knowledge is the foundation to our thankfulness. And I think of civil engineers in this, of when they're constructing a bridge or some other you know um, thing <laughs> the word I'm lost on you know, what do they construct based on, right? We want knowledge. We want concrete, 100% accurate, thorough knowledge because nobody wants their engineer to construct based on their emotion or their feeling, right? We want to know, will this bridge support me? And the, the psalmist is arriving at the same idea as it relates to thanksgiving, which is to say this, that thanksgiving doesn't necessarily begin in our heart and somehow move to stir our head, but it begins in our head and moves down to our heart and then outward in how it's displayed. And the psalmist says if we're going to be a people defined by thanksgiving, it's imperative that we know some things. What do we need to know? Well, we see two different themes. One, in verse 3, we see this idea that we need to know who is God. Who is God? And also, as we look at verse 5, we see that we need to know what God is like. So what do we need to know? We need to know who is God and what God is like. So let's begin with trying to unpack who God is. Looking at verse three, the psalmist tells us, know that the Lord, who is he? He is God, that Yahweh is Elohim, that he is creator, that it is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, And this is not necessarily a reference to the work of creation, such as like our individual DNA, as much as it is a reference to the work of God in creating for himself a people. Remember God said to Abraham, through your seed all nations of the earth will be blessed. The psalmist is is calling us to know that the very existence of God's people, his family, indicates who God is. It's God who made us and united us together as one family belonging to him. And the apostle Peter echoes this idea out of his book saying this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now check this out. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, what Peter's talking about there, what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 100, he's, they're talking about the church, the people of God. It's as if you and me are having this back and forth conversation. It's me maybe coming to you saying, hey, this might be crazy, but did I not just see you in the pit of destruction with like your feet stuck in the miry bog? Wasn't that you? And it's you like, replying like, yeah, man, that, that was me. I was there. And it's me going, well, come on now, brother. How did, you, how did you get out of that? That was impossible to get out of. And it's you saying, well, God brought me out. God brought me out. And I said, and now your feet are on solid rock? And, I, and, and you're like, yeah, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. And I'm like, 100%, God brought me out too and set my feet on solid rock. See, churches, God has, has made us into a people, his people, because we were all, as followers of Jesus, we were all once in the pit of destruction, but God in his mercy has rescued us. Amen? That's who God is. And second, we need to know what God is like. Look at verse 5 with me. The psalmist says, What is God like? Well, the Lord is good. How is he good? Well, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness extends to all generations. That's a good start. Doesn't this even sound familiar in description? Remember to Exodus 34, when God meets Moses on Sinai, declaring, The Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In some way, the psalmist is is drawing upon the Lord's name here to remind us what God is like, that God is good and loving and faithful. In fact, the psalmist declares that God is so good and so loving and so faithful that he not only preserves or saves and preserves and keeps like you and I in this little moment that we're sharing together, but he also saves, preserves, and keeps a generation yet unborn to arise and know him. That's absurd. That's incomprehensible, is it not? And yet, as I look at my own heart so often, I find this undervaluing of who God most truly is. This undervaluing. Now in a room like this, I imagine some of you, who's been to Old Faithful? All right, good. I've never been there, so hopefully this works. I've seen YouTube videos, and this is what I know. 20 times a day, sometimes 21, for a few minutes, this, this, uh, it's a geyser, right? It, it erupts to a height of 140 feet, which is 12 stories tall, which is pretty spectacular, right? 12 feet, or 12 stories. And it expels four to 8,000 gallons of water like every single time it erupts. The videos are, are like crazy. And I, I can only imagine like being there in person, like it's probably an absolute thrill. I could be wrong, but I, th- I think it is because like there's no, like, there's no gimmick to it. It's like the Earth is like spewing forth like eight thousand gallons of water all on its own, like no help from technology. Like this is how God. It's, it's cool, right? Uh, and so a few years ago, a journalist made some observations as and recorded responses of those who were tourists, as you all who were there were there, versus park employees. And as Old Faithful erupted, this journalist would just like record the responses of both tourists and park employee. And and every time it erupted, he noted that the tourists would go, ooh, or ah, or like applaud. If they're like me, jump up and down, right? Take photos and and video. Yet during these same eruptions, the journalist also noted that not even once did a single park employee pause in their work to turn and witness this most majestic display of Old Faithful. And the journalist concluded this report by saying, to the park employee, Old Faithful has become too familiar, thereby losing every power to impress the park employee to even notice its very existence. Church, let me ask you this morning. Have you... Have I, have I become so familiar with the faithfulness of God, with his goodness and love in our lives that we perhaps no longer even notice his very existence, his powerful existence at work? Are we perhaps no longer moved to to thank him for who he is or what he has done Do we tend to be more like that park employee? Maybe doled. Rather than the tourist who finds overwhelming delight? Has God and the things of God become so expected, or perhaps just assumed, that we fail to notice and acknowledge all of who God is? Are we so caught up in what we're doing? We're so busy. And for good things that we're unwilling or maybe uh, unaware to just pause and to witness and to marvel at who God is and what He is like. Well, here's what I know: when we understand Old Faithful for what it is—a marvelous earthly wonder—like it will lead you to respond with overwhelming delight. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus, and infinitely so. For apart from Jesus, you and I were headed straight to hell. But now, because of Jesus, we no longer are. Therefore, I believe Jesus' followers should be the most thankful people on the planet, blown away by the mercy of God. Thanksgiving is always a response to something. And for the Christian, it's a response to the knowledge of who God is, of his goodness and and love and and faithfulness. So if we know little of God and his character, our thankfulness is, is gonna be pretty minimal. For knowledge is the foundation. We must know who God is and what he is like. And as we grow in our knowledge right our hearts most naturally will become expanded to be defined by a thankful heart it begins with knowledge and this is where i think culture's understanding of thankfulness or gratitude perhaps departs from ours as followers of jesus in psychology today a publication wrote this people who deliberately cultivate gratitude by counting their blessings and writing letters of thanksgiving increase well-being health and happiness i agree but here's my question. If people are not thanking God, who are they thanking? Who are they thanking? We can, for instance, thank Grandma on, um, on Thanksgiving for this delicious pumpkin pie or this apple pie. But, but who do we thank for the apples or the pumpkins? Who do we thank for the flower that made this crust? Who do we thank for Grandma's very existence, Right? You see, culture values this, this cultivation of thankfulness, which is yes and amen, but the foundation of that thankfulness is just, it's fuzzy. It's always moving, because it's, it's rooted in one's circumstance or emotion, and that's subject to constant change, as we know, because life is always twisting and turning, But the psalmist informs us that biblical thanksgiving is anchored in the knowledge of our eternal God who never changes, full of goodness and of love and of faithfulness. As I've thought about it this week, I believe a heart filled with thanksgiving is honestly the most restful a heart can be. It's a heart not trying to prove anything, It's a heart not trying to earn anything. It's just a heart who's resting, who's happy, just to be in the presence of the one who gave it all. See, what I'm trying to say is just this, that thankfulness is God-centered. And it's the filter by which we must focus our lens upon as we move throughout our life. My wife is a talented photographer, and if she's listening, she's going to say, no, I'm not, but she is. She sees things I would never notice, and and I love this quality about her. You know, I can drive on our way to Iowa. I can drive by an old, faded barn, and, like, all I see is, like, a broken down, dilapidated building that needs paint or just, like, let's get rid of it, right? But we drive by that same barn, and, and she sees this beautifully weathered structure Structure with with greatly preserved character. She always sees beyond the obvious and relishes the obscure, which results in amazing photography or just a way to even see life. And it's a direct result by what she chooses to focus her lens upon. You see, church, the the, the focus of our lens should not be upon ourselves, on, on our feelings on our circumstances, but it must be upon God. And I know for me that the longer the lens stays focused on myself, on my circumstances, the more I become this self-pitiful person. I become this grumbling, complaining, far too easily given over to anger and jealousy for the things I don't have or for the way life has treated me unfairly as I look around, some of you, and like, man, I wish my life turned out like that. Yet I'm learning that the more I learn to focus the lens of my life through the knowledge of who God is and what he is like, it's there in that moment where my eyes are awakened to the beauty of what God is doing and who he is. And As we begin to to learn this, I, I believe as we focus our lens upon God and choose to see our lives through His lens, we will begin living a life more consistently defined by thankfulness. And, church, I'm not great at this at all. <laughs> I can think back to the years where Emily and I were, were trying and trying and trying to have kids. Three years trying and infertility every time. And I'm not sure there's a deeper agony or more mysterious confusion as to the painful reality of God withholding children for a couple that desires it. Those were dark days, hard. Doubt, anger, much jealousy and resentment towards seemingly everyone else who was having kids. Thankfulness was not a common expression of my heart during that season of life. Even now, as I think about like, just unmet desires for, for where I am now, like, I, I dream of having a bigger house for my family, for, to, to host people in our home. I, I, I would love just to have greater intellect, to understand things and to know things. I, I would love more sleep at night. I would love if my sports team won a championship. But when I focus that lens on me, upon that inability to have kids, or upon you know, our small home or my limited intellect, I'm robbed. I'm robbed of actually thanking Jesus for all that is true. And it destroys any sort of peace or joy or rest I should experience in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Our perspective in every circumstance of life is the result of where we direct our lens. And I want you to listen carefully of what I'm not saying. Because whether it's infertility or another trial that may be past or present that you're walking through, I fully acknowledge just the deep pain that there is in living in a broken world. And I'm not saying we just dismiss that and all of a sudden just choose thankfulness. That's not what I'm saying. There's a process that we work through 100%. But here's what I am saying we don't know what the future holds, yet I'm convinced that regardless of whatever may come, that as we choose to make God the filter of the lens of which we focus upon our lives, we will live a life where we will begin living life more defined by a thankful heart than an unthankful heart, even if we find the coming days full of darkness and despair. Why? Because our thankfulness is founded upon two things: who God is what God is like our thankfulness is not founded upon the constantly changing sometimes good sometimes bad circumstances of our life or upon any given emotion of our day it's always founded our thankfulness is anchored it must be anchored in the knowledge of our eternal God who never changes full of goodness love and faithfulness This brings us to our second question. Well, how do I demonstrate my thankfulness? If I understand why, well, how do I demonstrate that? We can look at verses 1 and 2 and also verse 4 as the psalmist invites us to these very visible outward demonstrations. We see there in verse 1, the psalmist invites us, make a joyful noise. Verse 2, we, he invites us to serve the Lord. He also invites us to come into God's presence, And in verse 4, we see that the psalmist invites us into God's gates and into his courts. So there's four very public demonstrations that we can make to express our thankful hearts. First, we see there in verse 1, the psalmist says, make make a joyful noise. Yesterday was Saturday, a lot of college football on, right? And I I think we can think about this in in, in collegiate football. Think of your favorite team. Um, Sorry, Ty, Hawkeyes won. Uh, But regardless, uh, but you can think about your, your, uh, you know, your favorite team going against the rival, championship is on the line, right, and, and your team wins, and the students storm the field, the crowd goes nuts, the band plays the victory song, and in that moment, is it not impossible just not to smile, not to break out in some sort of joyful noise, right, your team has won, and notice here in verse 1, where is this joyful noise, where is it directed to, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right, Our joyful noise is it's never aimless. It always has direction. In a sense, the psalmist is is inviting us as the people of God to get a little rowdy. Like that of celebrating a big-time collegiate football win. And friends, the biggest game ever has been won. Jesus claimed victory on the cross. And so as we spill out into the streets, we should and we should we, we should and we we cannot stop talking about what that final play was that sealed the game like that that should be on our lips as we celebrate what Jesus has done as we think about our own life does that description fit you how would your neighbor describe how you talk about Jesus is there a joyful noise How do I demonstrate my thankfulness? Well, the first thing the psalmist says is make a joyful noise to the Lord. Secondly, we see there in verse two, serve the Lord. How? Serve the Lord with gladness. And parents, you know with me the drastically different response you can get from your kids when you ask them to do something at home, right? It's either one, which is the response we always love and aim for in our parenting, of like, sure thing, Dad. That's awesome, right? But often, in too much of our frustration, it's, it's hold on, Dad, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of something, Dad. Or, but why, why, why do I have to do that? Or my favorite is this, but that's not fair. How come I have to help, but, I, I love when my little five-year-old says this, why do I have to help and you don't? I'm like, can we talk about that for a moment? You know, if you come to my house, I guarantee you very easily you will be able to identify whether my child is serving with gladness in their heart or whether my child is serving in some begrudging manner. It's not rocket science to figure out. And certainly God knows too. You know, how would people in your city group describe how you serve the Lord? How do I demonstrate my thankfulness? I I serve the Lord with gladness. Also there in verse two, we see that the psalmist invites us to come into God's presence. And how are we to come? It says with singing. And and I love this. Whenever Lucy, again, my five-year-old, whenever she she comes into a room where her, her younger infant Uh, brother Ephraim is, every time as she comes in, she sees him, she smiles, and she immediately bursts out in this song, Ephraim, Ephraim and sons, and just like on repeat. I don't know what it means. But she breaks out in song every time she sees him, over and over and over again, every time. Why? Because she delights in him. Friends, what's the supreme delight of your heart? What causes you to sing how do I demonstrate my thankfulness? Well, we come into God's presence with singing. And as we move to verse four, we see the invitation from the psalmist says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And this reference to, to gates and, and courts, it means nothing to us, but to the Jew it meant a lot. Because this language of, of, of gates and courts is it's a direct reference to the Jewish temple. And the temple was, as we know, like the very dwelling place of God's presence, right? So meaning when you came to the temple, you'd first pass through a gate, which then allowed you into the outer court, and you'd pass through the outer court to go through another gate. And as you passed through the inner, uh, inner gate, there was there in the inner court where the Holy of Holies was, where God dwelled. You see, it was thought that the further one progressed into the temple, it was believed the closer you came into the very presence of God himself. So as the psalmist says, as you progress through the courts and gates of, of, of the temple, the psalmist really is inviting you to draw near to God. It's an invitation to draw near to God. And the apostle James echoes this by saying, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God has never been far off, never wanting to do anything with his creation, but he desires us to draw near. And he's made a way for us through his gates, through his court, to draw near through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I love how Tim Keller, he puts this. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child or his child. We have that kind of access. You see, as we draw near to God, as verse four says, the psalmist says to do so with thanksgiving and praise. Why? Because as we thank and praise God, we shift the focus from ourselves and we place it upon the knowledge of who God is and what he has done. We shift away from from how we feel. We, We shift away from our circumstance. We shift away from just our own thoughts and we settle our focus squarely upon God. And David alluded to this at the beginning of, you know, why do we begin our service with with singing? Or why do we begin our service with opening God's word, this call to worship? Well, It's intentional to shift our focus away from ourselves, to focus our minds on the truth of who God is. Because as we shake free of ourselves, we begin to remember the wonders of Jesus. And our hearts begin to warm as we meet with God our Father. So as we meet with God, publicly or privately, how do you come to him? Is it with this long list of things you need or want? Or do you first come with a list of praises and thank yous for who he is and what he's done? How do I demonstrate my thankfulness? Well, the psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence with singing, and to meet with God with thanksgiving and praise. And I want to close our time just by reading the wonderful story found in Luke 17. You guys know it well. In verse 12, you can follow along on the screen. It's of Jesus cleansing the 10 lepers. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And, he lifted, and they lifted up their voices, the lepers, to Jesus, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered him, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Well, here's our challenge this Thanksgiving and really for the rest of our lives, right? Be the one. Be the one. All ten lepers were healed. But only one recognized and acknowledged who it was who healed him. Will you be like that one? Whether it's the excitement of life, the hardships of life, the hustle of getting things done, be the one who slows down and pauses your life to acknowledge the goodness, the love, the faithfulness of Jesus at work in your life. Be the one who returns over and over and over to the face of Jesus. And fall down and worship him giving him thanks for everything of who he is and what he has done a life of thankfulness is the way of life for all who follow Jesus fine church let's be a people a Psalm 100 people let's be Psalm 100 people who enters his courts and gates, gates with thanksgiving not because we've somehow manufactured enough thankfulness but because we've seen so much of God We cannot deny it. We have to sing about it. We have to worship him. Father, we do praise you in this moment for who you are. Lord, we give you so much praise for your love and faithfulness and goodness. Knowing who we are apart from you, recognizing what you have done through your life, death, and resurrection. Lord, make us Psalm 100 people. Give us, expand our knowledge of who you are. Lord, help us in that endeavor. And may our public actions display a heart that's overwhelmed by what you've done for us. Lord, I pray for any here this morning who do not know you, Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would see their need for you and in this moment see that you have met them. And there is much forgiveness and acceptance at the cross. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this time we can share together. In your name we pray. Amen.